Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Targa. Thanks for joining us. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today comes to us from the experimental indie rock quintet known as A Fragile Tomorrow. He is one Sean Kelly. Check out A Fragile Tomorrow's latest record called Generation Loss, a quasi-psychedelic pop soundscape touching upon themes of loss and regeneration in our questioning chaotic social times, which can be found on Impress Records. I'll also drop a link in the show notes for you all to learn more about the group as well. For our conversation today, we'll be discussing the fourth studio album by New Zealand-Australian recording artists known as Crowded House. That record, of course, is Together Alone, which was released in October of 1993 and was their first album to feature multi-instrumentalist Mark Hart as a band member. Unlike the band's first three records, which were produced in the U.S. and Australia by Mitchell Fromm, Together Alone was recorded in New Zealand with producer Youth. Without further delay, let's welcome our guest to the program. Sean Kelly of Fragile Tomorrow, it is so great to talk with you today and uh, catch up a little bit and talk about Crowded Houses uh, Together Alone. What yeah. um, yeah, what um, what inspired you to to choose this record? Uh, a lot of things. I, you know, I'm um, my two favorite bands in the whole world are REM and Crowded House, and it used to be in that order. And I think uh, as time has gone on, they've sort of merged into like kind of being at the number one spot. Um, you know, they're kind of sharing that spot for me. And and uh, Crowded House was a band that I kind of got into when I was like pretty young and um you know it, i was sort of discovering crowded house split ends and then all the finn kind of related stuff in one fell swoop um and and so i, I don't remember what band would have been the first like introduction to finn music it was probably crowded house but um I, you know i i kind of early on kind of gravitated towards towards the singles i guess but not so much like you know like a don't dream it's over kind of single but like I, you know, I think probably Distant Sun was one of the first songs that I heard that I was like, wow, man, this is like, this is just, the songwriting is just un, unparalleled. And, uh, and and so, you know, that being on this record, it kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Um, I, I think that, you know, as the years have gone on, I tend to appreciate Crowded House music for different reasons. And every record I sort of appreciate for a, uh, for a different reason. And, 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 um, so with that said, I think my favorite has always changed. And more recently, I've been really interested in this record because it's so like markedly different from anything else that they did previously. Um, and then also anything else, anything else they did after that as well, after they got back together. And um, it, I don't know, it's a very fascinating record. It's probably their most musically varied, perhaps their most ambitious record from like a sonic standpoint and a musical standpoint and there's all these other elements of it too that i've as i've gone back and sort of listened to it um prior to our chat i think as i'm i'm sort of like realizing what has attracted me so much to it as of late and 
Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll dive into that that kind of stuff. But uh, like more broadly, I think it's it's just there's so many things that make it such a unique like uh, mark in their catalog um, that I feel like it's a worthy album to talk about because I think everybody talks about the Froom stuff, you know. It's like everybody talks about you know the first record, or they talk about Woodface, which is which is up until recently was my favorite record, and it is an incredible record, but. Um, I think this one is a little bit criminally uh, underrated, a little bit criminally overlooked in the canon of Crowded House and of just Neil Finn music in general. Um, And so, you know, it felt like a worthy one to talk about because of all of that and because there's, I think there's a lot more to unpack um, with this record than there might be with other Crowded House albums, if that makes sense. So it, Mm -hmm. it seemed like all around kind of a, kind of a good choice. We are talking with Sean Kelly here on Cover to Cover with Matt Harkas, specifically about Crowded House and uh, their 1993 effort, Together Alone. Uh, Sean, for our listeners, if they are unfamiliar with this group, can you um, tell us a little bit about some of the players that appear on this record? You mentioned Neil Finn, and he's kind of the real catalyst, if you will, behind the band. But can you uh, can you tell us, you know, about some of the other uh, some of the other folks that are uh, that are in the band at this particular juncture in their career? Yeah, so this was kind of an interesting point for them because uh, with uh, Woodface, it was Neil. Um, you know, they, they were they were a, a three-piece for a, a good while. It was Neil uh, on guitar and vocals. It was Nick Seymour on bass and Paul Hester on drums. And that was the core of the band. Um, and then, I guess, around 91... Um, Neil had been working with his brother, Tim, who they were in Split Ends together. Um, Neil joined Split Ends in the, the, the late 70s, but Tim actually was uh, one of the co-founders of the band. And, um, by the late 80s, I believe they had been working on a Finn Brothers record, what, would it, what was supposed to be the first Finn Brothers album, um, and were working on songs for that, and um, concurrently working on a Crowded House record or something to that nature. And um, So ultimately the songs kind of bled into each other. And I think that Neil felt that they kind of worked in the, in the crowded house context. And so Tim was brought in to crowded house essentially for uh Woodface. So like, you know, fall at your feet and uh, weather with you was it? Well, fall at your feet was a Neil solo, right? But um, uh, weather with you was a, a co-write between Neil and Tim. And most of the songs I believe were co-writes. And so I guess around uh, you know, that happened and, and the record came out. It did very, very well, um, especially in, in Europe, I believe. Weather With You was kind of maybe their biggest hit, uh, besides Don't Trim It's Over. And, um, I, I think it was like in in London or something, uh, in the middle of a tour, that it, it sort of became pretty clear that, that it wasn't really working out with Tim um, in the band and just wasn't feeling right. And, uh, and so I think that what happened was he ultimately left the band. And uh, and Mark Hart, who was an American player who uh, is probably best known for um, being in various roles in um, uh, Supertramp um, prior to that, and, like, tour- and actually had toured with Crowded House, uh, I believe, in 1989 or something, and then played on Woodface a little bit. Um, so when Tim left, Mark uh, was was drafted to kind of take his place on the tour because Tim was playing a lot of keyboards and stuff. Um, and then by the time that like, you know, 92, 93 came around and they were starting to work on this other record, I think Mark had sort of cemented his place in the band. And so he was, um, asked to join officially 
And so, uh, Mark, so now by this point on this record together alone, there are four piece, um, and Mark Hart has joined on guitars, keyboards, lap steel, all that kind of stuff. And so they are uh, in all, by all accounts, a four piece on this record. And then, uh, the producer for this record was that this was the thing that was sort of so different and, and made it so intriguing for me because everything that they had done prior to this record was with Mitchell Froom. Um, and to a certain extent, I, I believe Chad Blake was, um, I think he engineered some of that stuff. I don't know if it was every record. Um, I, I'd have to go back and, 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 and reference that. But um, the, the, the team was for all, by all accounts, Mitchell Froom and Chad Blake um, and Neil Finn ultimately. Uh, as the kind of creative center of the band. Um, and so they decided to kind of go in a different direction with this record, and they uh, got Youth to kind of helm the producer's chair, and, and Youth was probably best known for being Killing Joke. Uh, was the bass player for Killing Joke um, in the late 70s to about 1982. And then he kind of had a pretty fruitful career as a producer and engineer, and, and he's also known for being in The Fireman with Paul McCartney. Um, yeah, but they... Uh, they so he's kind of a, a pretty pretty big heavyweight in his own right and um and so they they got him to to come work on the record with them and uh and so he's in on it and I, I believe Tim Finn sings on Catherine Wheels, I think. Uh and then Neil's wife Sharon also sings um on this record, which I believe was had by that point become somewhat of a tradition for Crowded House Records. Um, which is something that actually continues to this day. Uh, she's, I think, been on maybe every Crowded House album. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe um, uh, not the first one, but I can't remember. Um, but anyway, so it's kind of a, a wide range of people that are on this record. Um, they also uh, utilized um, like a, a, a brass band and a, and a choir, uh, like kind of a, a native choir from New Zealand, um, on the title track, uh, which is really, really interesting as well, kind of a, um, a, a really big, like, kind of a sonic musical departure for them. Uh, I believe Noel Crombie from Split Ends also plays percussion on this record as well. But uh, the, the primary players are their four-piece, and then Youth is... Uh, I, I don't think he played anything. I think he just produced it. But that's the core group of people for this record. We are talking with uh, Sean Kelly of... A Fragile Tomorrow here on Cover to Cover with Matt Sarkin. Sean, you may have alluded to this just a little bit earlier. Um, what was your point of discovery for either the band as a whole or this particular record? Were there, um, was there just a, was there like, was there a relative? Was there a brother? Um, just was there, some, <laughs> was there somebody within your, you know, immediate circle that introduced you to Crowded House? Is what uh, I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, well, well. You know what? Like, I, I, I think about this sometimes because there are certain bands that there were people like, well, mainly my dad, to be honest. Like growing up, uh, he was kind of a big like new wave guy. So you know, Squeeze was kind of a, a band that he liked, XTC and stuff like that. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that he was also into Split Ends. Um, and, and I, that probably was my entry point. But yeah. uh, I think for me, what it was. If I'm remembering correctly, because it would have been, oh gosh, I would have been probably, like I said, like 12 or 13 when I really got into Crowded House. I had, you know, yeah. peripherally been aware of them, um, obviously for a long time, and you know, everybody knows Don't Dream It's Over and stuff. Uh, but I think I was like 12 or 13 when I really kind of dove in, and and so it, it might have been a split ends thing. But I I, I remember um, just kind of at the time. 
I, I'd had, you know, I was a very kind of curious teenager, preteen, whatever that age would have been. And, um, when it, when it came to music, because I, I, I was sort of discovering a lot of things at once. And, um, I forget the, the name of like the computer program that I had, but it was one of these like stock windows programs that you could like, they had, you know, artist radio and stuff like that. So, uh, I would spend a, like a really good amount of time, like, uh, you know, kind of going like on the weekends, I would just sit there and, and, you know, listen to certain artists and look at the related artists. It's kind of what spot people do with Spotify now, but like, yeah. uh, you know, like listen to their music and listen to somebody else's music that was sort of related to them. I'd read the bios and I was kind of like a huge nerd when it came to that stuff. So I, I'm pretty sure that like my, my crowded house fandom kind of started there. Um, and then the first record that I actually bought of theirs wasn't until 2007 they put out this record uh when they when they came back together uh called Time on Earth and it which it actually started out as a Neil Finn solo record and then kind of morphed into Crowded House but um it was it was after Paul Hester had, had passed away he passed away in 2005 um and I I was in uh Durham North Carolina I was with my dad and we were we were, we were visiting a friend and uh we went to a record store and I was actually, I'll, I'll just mention the friend. Um, it was my friend, Peter Holsapple, who, uh, is probably most notably, um, the, uh, an auxiliary player for Hootie and the Blowfish and was with R.E.M. for a long time. And he's in the DVs. And, um, and so we went and visited Peter cause he was playing a show and we just kind of decided on a whim to fly down to Durham. We were living in New York at the time. And, um, and, you know, you know naturally Peter's a, a, a record guy. So he, um, employed us to, to go to a record shop with him and, so we went we went record shopping and I was like really big into Crowded House at this point and and uh that record was there and um you know I had a, saved up a little bit of money at that point so I I got a couple of albums or maybe my dad paid for it I don't really remember <laughs> um, but uh you know either way I bought that record and uh and that was kind of like I think that was the real like you know turning point for me as a fan um to where I was like pretty much hooked and uh and so that was kind of the beginning of my crowded house fandom and um but by that point I, I had already discovered this record and stuff but uh that was sort of the the real like you know the 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 investment i think um and you know i'm not i i i'm not someone who uh is i think when i was a kid i probably was but like i'm not the kind of person who's like so invested in a band that i like really really follow them and really you know do that whole thing even with REM, I, I think I, 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 it's 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 more of an ingrained thing. I ha, I own every REM record. Um, yeah. I'm kind of a REM history buff, but like I don't, you know, I didn't go and uh, on the message boards and stuff. But with like Neil Finn related stuff, it's I'm 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 in. Like I have them in the Facebook groups. I'm on. I read the message boards. Like I'm I'm a I'm a legit fan. And so uh, that was kind of the starting point of all that was buying that record. Um, and and you sort of like learn about this entire world of of music that exists under the like the Finn banner, whether it's Neil Tim, Neil son Liam, um, you know, it's, there's so many facets of it, and and they've done so many different things. And but that was the starting point um, as a as like a real deep fan. But I I had uh, been listening to Crowded House prior to that, and I think uh, in particular the Farewell to the World album that came out in 2006 it was the recording of their farewell concert uh, that was in 96 um i had been kind of deep in that by that point as well but uh the time on earth record was like the first point that i i bought bought an album of theirs and that was like my the i i consider it the, the the starting point of my like deep thin fandom was buying that record 
chatting with uh, Sean Kelly of A Fragile Tomorrow here on Cover to Cover. And, uh, Sean, it feels like a really good time to talk about your favorite tracks on Together Alone. Um, would you like to go track by track, or would you like to kind of, you know, pick your absolute favorites off of this album and, you know, extrapolate on what you think? Ooh, I mean, I that, that see that's tough because uh, I, I think most of them are are like in my favorites. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would say there's probably like one song that I I don't pay a lot of attention to, not for any particular reason. I, I just kind of a skip track, and that's probably Catherine Wheels, um, or and and maybe Carrie Carrie as well, but uh, to a to a lesser extent. But like. For the most part, I think everything is is kind of in my in my top of Crowded House songs. So uh, that, that's kind of hard to say. I I it'd probably be better if we kind of picked some of the favorites um, because I I mean I really could go on about a lot of these songs, but uh, I I think there's some that are you know musically and sonically kind of linked linked enough that like I could kind of say a little bit about one of them and it could kind of sum up you know my feelings on on the other. So let's just pick some songs and kind of go for it. Let, okay, let's uh, let's start off with uh, track number one, "In My Command." This is uh, it's got that real thumping bass. I mean, these songs are all majestic, Sean, in, in their own yeah. special ways. I mean, you have that kind of jangly guitar that's pervasive, and you know, flourishes of synth and acoustic guitar, and you know, it's it, Neil Neil Finn's voice is just it's just it's I think it's beautiful. Um, it is beautiful. That 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 that's a really good word. Um, for his voice and and, and he, even when he's like he's at he's at, he's at his edge um he it's, he still has a beautiful voice that's the weird the weird thing about his, his the way yeah. he sings yeah um yeah I, I think that's an interesting song and I, and I, and I think it's a good like kind of marker for what this record was trying to do in a lot of ways because it, it, in in some ways it's kind of like the perfect uh you know encapsulation of of a crowded house song because I think the thing with this record is is it's sort of in between like what Crowded House was doing previously and what Neil was kind of going towards in his solo uh, work later on. And, and, and I think, um, you, you know, In My Command is kind of a good example because it's got the, like, the, you know, the verses are very, like, kind of a little bit edgier, a little rock, a little, a little more rock-oriented, um, a little bit left field, um, which is sort of like what he does in verses. Like, he kind of goes a little bit left field. And then the thing with Crowded House is, like, the the chorus is like immediately it's it straightens up and that's you get this big ex- expansive beautiful crowded house chorus and get that with this song um I, I think the the difference with this overall is that i don't think that there was necess- there's necessarily anything like this song overall to like sort of reference back to in the previous crowded house albums um and and i think maybe that that was somewhat intentional because I think that like all the firm stuff was like, and I love it. I love, love all that stuff. So I'm in no way like, you know, talking down about any of those records, but I think the difference is that the firm stuff is all like, you know, it's your, it's your like perfect credit house. You know, it's what everybody loves from credit house. It's, it's the, the, like the gorgeous choruses. Um, it's all those keyboard parts that, that Mitchell did. It's, you know, all the really like, uh, interesting chord voicings, and then it's that middle eight. It's like that—that's the thing that everybody loves from Neil Finn. Um, it's you know, it, it's that bridge. It's—it's it's either it's this guitar solos or whatever he does in a bridge that kind of throws you for a loop, and then he reigns back in. That's just what he's good at. Um, 
on this record, it's like, you know, you you start to get you you get that, and you get that on this song in my command. But like, you also get like this really weird kind of um, bridge section where everything gets a little heavier, and he's kind of doing that shouty thing, um, which you know you get a little bit on like whispers and moans. He kind of did that in the outro and stuff. But this was a little bit like um, a little bit harder, I think, and and it's a good like indicator of what he was trying to do which i think is maybe being a little bit more experimental but in my command is probably a good way to and i think this is technically track two because i think carry carry is maybe i might be wrong but i think that might be the first technically the first song um uh but like it's a good way to kind of open the record because it it lets you know like this we're still crowded house but it, this is a little bit different a little bit looser and that's the other thing about it is that this whole record is kind of looser and, and, you know, all the Froome stuff, I think uh, everyone kind of knows the story. He's like a little bit more of a hands-on producer and, and he kind of like, he kind of takes the reins and keeps everything pretty tight. And, and I think youth being like kind of in a post-punk band and kind of having that thing um, kind of from everything that I've read and, and learned about this record over the years, it's like there was a very concerted effort for things to be sort of looser and, and a little bit more unwieldy in the way that they were tracking and, and not being too concerned with, with the perfection aspect of, of everything sonically and, and in terms of production. And I think this is a good like marriage between all of those ideas and what makes Crowded House Crowded House. So uh yeah, I mean I think this is one of my favorite songs because of that, because it it's not too left of center, but there always is that little left of center thing. Um and and sonically it's like what you want in a crowded house song, but it's just a little bit looser. Chatting with uh, Sean Kelly here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about Crowded House and Together Alone. And uh, Sean, what are your thoughts about uh, track number three, Nails in My Feet? That might be my favorite song on this record. It's really hard to say, but like uh, currently it's, it's, it is, and it's the one that I listen to constantly. Um, I love this song for a lot of different reasons. I think... Um, like the imagery of it all is really is is really beautiful. Um, you know, I think melodically it's it's weird because Neil, especially within the crowded house like context, I think he has sort of um, some. There there are certain things that he kind of um, brings back and forth within songs, certain melodic things, uh, chord progressions that sort of in, in a broad sense tend to like show up. Um, in in various forms, and, and they might differ here and there, but I think uh, there's there's some thread um, just as a songwriter when he when he like takes this sort of kind of middle of the road thing, which is kind of what Crowded House is known for. They're sort of middle of the road pop stuff, but thrown in this kind of left field and this really like imaginative approach to to pop. Um, and I think that's present here, but I think what's different about it is probably. Uh, probably the production because like, you, you know, you get in the songwriting, you get like that, that payoff, that like that gorgeous chorus. And this song like has that in spades. It's like, you know, you, the, the, the verse is so minor and, and uh, kind of, uh, it, it reminds me, it's very, actually very similar to um, Fall at Your Feet in that sense. Uh, but the chorus is like, is is kind of angelic and if you watch the video actually there's there's like this really angelic kind of thing happening in the video um and and I think it's like the perfect 
visual encapsulation of it because the chorus is just so um, it's spiritual. But the interesting thing is that lyrically, I think a lot of people interpret it as a spiritual song or have something having to do with, um, with Jesus or whatever. But like, it actually has something to do with uh, I don't remember specifically something relating to like lawn care or something. Um, that's really yeah. specifically like a lawn care tool um, that like essentially is like nails on your feet kind of thing. Um, and I'd have to look it up, but uh, it's it's a lot more it's a, it's a lot less uh, deep than I think that people um, interpret it as. But that's kind of the great thing about Neil, though, is like a lot of his his lyrics um, kind of appear one way, and they're a little bit more open to interpretation, and and at times even a little bit more direct um, than you might think. But he's really good at like masking. Um, things in poetry and stuff like that and, and a little bit more abstractness. Uh, and this is a good example of that. And one thing that's really, really prevalent here is the 12 string guitar, which is kind of like, has become a signature crowded house thing, at least for me. Like, I feel like it's, it's a big part of what I love um, about them. And it's one of the reasons that I um, am attracted to 12 string guitar. And, you know, the solo here is like pretty, pretty typical, um, you know, kind of what you want to hear on on a 12 string, but like in the context of this song, it's, uh, it's kind of the perfect thing. And it's like really kind of, there's like a, a, a tension, um, that exists in that solo. And it's really, really cool. And, um, one thing that's really interesting about this song that I, I, I think about a lot, uh, you know, I'll listen to live versions, particularly the last couple of tours, um, in 2007 through 2011 ish. Um, you know, they, uh, Matt, who's who was their current drummer until recently, until the the latest incarnation of the band, um, uh, would would play with the snares on, and but on the record, uh, the like the snares actually aren't on the snares, so it's it's like essentially like a it sounds like a high pitched tom almost like it's a, a, a snare without snares on, yeah. um, and I I always thought and then until the last chorus comes in, which I think they blend in some kind of like reverby snare that's kind of back a little further. Um, and I always thought that was kind of an interesting production choice for this song because uh, it, it sort of makes it more percussion-oriented rather than, like, a drum kit, which was probably intentional if you listen to the record, like, the, you know, the what what they were doing in terms of exploring percussion. Um, but I always thought that was interesting because it kind of gave the song a little bit of a different vibe I think they'd ever had. And that might be what sets it apart for for me is sort of the combination of all this stuff, but particularly that choice, it makes it sound like a, like a different kind of moment for, for them rather than just like all playing a, 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 you know, a drum kit and something kind of simple, which, uh, you know, might make it seem a little bit more straight up, you know, I think it makes the song a little bit, a little bit more special is what I'm saying. So I, re- I really love this one. I, I like that it's, they kind of were a little bit more daring in their production choices and, um, I think all around it's kind of a, I would, I would always recommend this one as like a, you know, may, it's maybe not the most um, like accessible crowded house song in terms of like, everybody's going to love it. Like, you know, don't dream it's over or something, but like it, I would recommend it as like, Hey, if you, if you want to hear like what else these guys do and, and kind of what else they've done, that's been a little bit more interesting um, for maybe the outside ear and not just the, you know, you're kind of middle of the road pop fan. I think that this is a good example of a song that uh, would appeal to people like that. So. Absolutely. We are chatting with Sean Kelly of A Fragile Tomorrow here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarkin. 
Uh, you know, Sean, following Nails in My Feet, we have a black and white boy. Mm-hmm. It's another really nifty song, you know. Yeah. Kind of, you know, talking about, you know, it seems coming to grips with different types of emotions. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and uh and it's a really really cool song. It's it's very um I'm I'm glad we're talking about this one because I think it's like kind of a good um kind of a good example of like what uh maybe they were trying to accomplish with, with this record aside from like the the sort of, you know, when you get later in the record, uh you're getting sort of the um, you know, the different kind of world music like aspects and stuff, but I think the other side of it was like trying to get a little bit edgier and uh, maybe a little bit weirder and um, and kind of more freewheeling. And I think this is a really good example of that. Um, mm-hmm. I heard Neil say, I believe it was in like the making of uh, that you can find on YouTube um, for, for this record. I think he said it was kind of there. It started as like a pretty soft um, kind of ballady thing, um, yeah. a little bit kind of more like kind of a melancholy, melancholy thing, and then it turned into. Uh, something that he said was like almost their tribute tribute to glam, which is really cool. And when you think about like, you know, crowded houses approach to like a glam rock thing, like a T-Rex or a Slade or something, this seems like, you know, would be the most sensible uh, way for them to, to do that or the thing that made the most sense. And and so I really love this song. I think it's, uh, you know, other songs in this record, like Locked Out um, or like Skin Dealing um, are, are good examples of like, how like a band like them like they can they can play some rock like it's not you know I think people tend to put them in the like the uh, wheelhouse of like soft rock or whatever um, or even just pop and and I think like there's so many facets of Crowded House and of the songs that that Neil writes and in, in Skin Feelings case what Paul writes um, and you know I think this is a good example of like it's not just one thing um, mm-hmm. and and yeah and lyrically it, it's uh, I haven't explored it much, but it, it definitely seems like it's um, talking about like the, the different facets of like you know of being human and, and uh, personality and stuff like that. It's a really it kind of seems like the like a good um, a good thing to write about in a glam rock song. Almost. It kind of makes sense, and um, yeah, I, I think it's like it's placed really well. I think that's another thing about this record. I think the sequence is like really cool and um, kind of just works like amazingly well. Everything, because like, it's so varied, there's so many different things happening on this record, but it all feels like it, it like fits really, really well where it is in the record. And I couldn't imagine like Black and White Boy being the last song on the record or something. Um, so yeah, I think all around like it's a good place for this song to happen, and it's a good like amount of energy to expel so early on in the album. I I, I love this song. I love it. Here's some example lyrics for our listeners: When you shake off the shadows of night, and your eyes are so clear and so bright. You'll make fools of the liars and creeps, put a rose in my cheeks. But when demons have climbed on your back, you are vicious and quick to attack, and you put on a wonderful show. Do you really, really think I didn't know? That's that's just some amazing poetry. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's amazing throughout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's so good. Like I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I get very self-conscious about lyrics, and um, and one thing that that um really appeals to me in terms of like looking to Neil as kind of a beacon is like he, you know, he, he edits a lot and he's always done that. And he's, um, he's kind of known to be kind of a stickler in that way. Um, and I, and I like that because 
he's, you know, I like the idea that, like, the song doesn't have to be finished until it's, like, you know, you're recording the vocal or whatever. You know, it's, like, mm-hmm. some people kind of get into this mindset that you write the song, then you record it. And I think he's always changing things. And I think that, like, ultimately reflects in his poetry because he's, like, he'll change a word and that'll, that'll just shift everything. And I think lyrics, although I think in a lot of ways might kind of be secondary to some Crowded House fans, or maybe they're just, it's, I think it's all part of the package, maybe not secondary, but um, yeah. I, I think part of what makes it all work so well is that he puts so much care into every word and um, every image that he's trying to, like, you know, kind of, kind of encompass in a song. And, yeah, that's, oh God, he's so he's so good. It's It's kind of crazy, like, how good of a songwriter he is and how good of a lyricist he is. Um, and he's one of those like songwriters that makes you feel like he's writing for you. Um, and yeah. even if, even if it's, even if you don't like technically have anything to do with what he's actually writing about, like you sort of feel this connection, like, and at least I do, like there's just always a connection and, 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 uh, and he's just so good at, at that kind of thing. We are chatting with Sean Kelly from a fragile tomorrow and uh, Sean, after Black and White Boy, we have Fingers of Love. This is yeah. perfectly sequenced track here. Yeah, it's it. it um, this is one of those songs that uh, I think a lot of Crowded House fans will tell you is sort of um, maybe in like the top. There's, I think, there's like a group of three songs. Uh, I think this one and um, oh gosh, uh, I can't remember the other on on this record that that would have been in this grouping, but I think a lot of people feel that there's like a very small group of songs that like, in terms of the live performance of them, that like, uh, is kind of like, you know, in the upper kind of echelon of, of performances and, and songs to perform in Crowded House. And, uh, this is definitely one of them. And, and, and for me, it's a really like important song because it's, it's, it feels kind of like, um, in a lot of ways, sort of like, Kind of, kind of a magnum opus, maybe not Neil Finn's magnum opus, but like if you're if you search for something as a songwriter that's like uh, that's on a certain level of um, depth and kind of emotional mm-hmm. worth, I think like a, a song like this is is like any songwriter should aspire to something like this because it's kind of got everything going for it. Um, you know, I think Mark's twelve uh, string part is really is really beautiful and really like. Um, kind of complements what Neil's doing, and and it also is is very much like a signature, crowded house song in a lot of ways, and just the kind of the way that the acoustic moves, um, it's sort of a very signature Neil Finn song, but in so many ways it's a little bit beyond that because it's I can see I think about this song a lot and I think I I consider it like poetry in every form like not just on a, on a lyrical level, I think on a musical level and like a production level, it's very poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes a really big statement. And Neil's really good at like, really good at writing songs about, um, about like love and sex and stuff. And, and, and not in, in a very like romantic, incredible way to where you listen to like this song or like fall at your feet. And you're like, man, like, if like, how, how does this, like, how does he do that? How does he speak to these, this speak to intimacy in such a, a, a powerful way that doesn't seem like corny or kitschy or anything like that. Like it's, that's really hard to do. Yeah. It and, feels so uh, effortless too. Yeah. It's very effortless. It's, it, 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 I mean, it's like he just, he examines these experiences 
and, and that's also a lot to say for somebody who's been married for like 40 years or however long he's, he's, he's been married. Like, like he's, it, it, I mean, he's, it seems like he's just exploring his marriage all the time. Like, you know, you have like, I mean, like literally, you know, their biggest hit was written about a fight with his wife and he's like the perfect, um, the, the perfect song or like he, he does it so perfectly, like just examining kind of all facets of like a relationship and, um, and just the way that he like, he puts it all into, into words is just like incredible. And this song is so haunting and beautiful and, and dare I say sexy. I don't know. It feels kind of sexy. Um, and that's very weird for, for, I feel weird saying that about uh, much of anything. Um, but like it, it, it feels that way. It's like, it, it's such a beautiful, respectful, um, tasteful song about love and all that. And, it, and it's, uh, it's very rare. It's, it's, you're so rare to find that um, in in anything relating to rock music. Um, and I think that like he's just so really he's just so good at that. And this song is like I don't know. It, it kind of has it all. And it's also rare that you find a song that like um, that really actually like musically encapsulates all that as well. Just the feeling of of what he's singing about. And I think this song is like really good example of that it's also one that's not overly produced and um does the kind of ethereal like ambient thing in a way that doesn't doesn't come across as like forced or like um expected like it's very it's very uh kind of singular and unique and it's in the way that it, it, it approaches like space and all that kind of stuff I, I i think it's like a kind of a crash course in like writing a beautiful gorgeous um hauntingly devastating song if that makes sense it does. If, if you if you would allow me to read a couple of lyrics here, uh, yeah. For our listeners, we have: I hear the endless murmur, every blade of grass that shivers in the breeze, and the sound it comes to carry me across the land and over the sea. And here's another little um, uh, short stanza here: From the cradle to the grave, from the palace to the gutter, beneath the dying rays of the sun, lie the fingers of love. It's incredible. It's incredible lyrics. Yeah, cool. yeah. I, I, I. It's so funny that that first line that that you read. I, I had that in my head. Like I have it in my head right now because that's like that's the line that I keep going back to. That's that pre-chorus, like um, about to open up to the, and I can't wake up. Like it, it's right, right. It's so beautiful and such. It's just the perfect way to set that up. Like I, I, I sometimes I don't know how he does it. Like it's kind of crazy. Um, that's such a beautiful line. Like both of both of the lines are just so beautiful and like i said it's poetry it's just poetry in all all possible ways that you can express musically we're chatting with sean kelly from the fragile tomorrow here on cover to cover and we are diving incredibly deep into crowded houses together alone uh sean after fingers of love i mean we have several tracks to choose from i mean there's pineapple head and then there was the you know one of the really big songs off of this record that found its way onto uh the Reality Bites soundtrack in 1994 yep. called Locked Out. Um, are either of these two, I mean, I know the whole record is really appealing. Are, the, are either of these two ones that you would like to tackle? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'll just say uh, probably in terms of Locked Out, like it, yeah. it, it's it's just a straight up like great rock song. Um, it, it's, it's I, I love the like kind of the way that they're sort of like, it, 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 you, you think it should be a lot um, like heavier and higher gain than it is, and they kind of like do this really great job of like pulling back and not being overly like 
aggressive in like the guitar sounds. It's very, it's kind of like a kind of a mid game. Like uh, there's a lot of tremolo and stuff like that. I don't know. I think it's a really good like kind of a really good lesson in how to do like a rock song that doesn't um, doesn't like you know sound predictable. Um, but I, I so that's what I'll say about that. And I, and I, I but I think Pineapple Head is one that I'd like to get a little more into because sure. I, I think when Neil kind of started his solo thing. Um, and especially, and also in the later later years of of Crowded House, um, following this record, they did a, a greatest hits, and there was a couple of singles on it. Um, particularly, there was one called uh, "Not the Girl You Think You Are," and that was like a straight up Beatles song. Um, I think he was he I mean he's like said it was his his attempt to write a Beatles song. Um, but like I think the thing about Neil post Crowded House is that he started getting away from the sort of um, sort of straight down the middle approach to a crowded house song. Um, and this was a good, like, uh, kind of catalyst for that, I think it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Um, but the thing about pineapple head is that it kind of sounds like a Beatles song. If like the Beatles were a little bit more, um, a little bit more Celtic, maybe is a kind of a good way. Maybe that's uh-huh. a little bit lame of, an, of, of a way to describe it, but it's like kind of the best word that comes to mind. Um, but I, I think it's just like really like great, like really kind of imaginative song that probably set the, um, the bar for a lot of what kind of came after it, which if, if anybody gets a chance to like check out Neil's solo stuff, I think it's like, it's really, really important because there's so much that he's done as a solo artist, um, that kind of spans all this different, you know, musical ground and stylistic ground, um, with a lot of experimental stuff, it's not crowded house in any way, shape, or form. And I think that Pineapple Head is kind of a song that, like, to me anyway, like, kind of establishes maybe what he started going for on, like, One Nil, the One Nil, One All album. Um, there's an album before that, Try Whistling This, which is incredible as well. Uh, I believe also both those records were, were Froome and Chad Blake again, but um, but I think Pineapple Head sort of does the thing where it's, like, nodding to uh, it's you know it's still a pop song and it's got a great chorus and a great hook, um, but I think it also kind of nods to like, you know, um, you know I'm gonna go in a different kind of direction and there's gonna be like, you know, folkier stuff and stuff that kind of explores, um, you know, other, uh, other sensibilities that I have besides pop songs and and um, you know the kind of I think the production on this is sort of uh, waving that flag, um, you know, and actually I think. I believe this song also features Eddie Rayner, who's the keyboard player for Split Ends. Um, I'm probably doing that really cool Mellotron part that happens in the chorus, which is like one of my favorite parts of the song. But the other mm-hmm. thing is like, is just the, uh, just the, like the sort of the, the lead thing that happens that I, I don't know if it's like a, it might be like a bazooki or something. Um, maybe like kind of, kind of a bazooki 12 string hybrid or something. I'm not sure what they used, but um, it, it kind of has that, this like really interesting vibe that's, I don't know. This record is so all over the place, and and it, this song is like kind of stands on its own. There's really nothing else that like sounds like it or has um, any of the kind of same kind of like melodic tendencies. But it, it still works really well, and uh, it, I, I think it's a good benchmark for like you know maybe where he was looking to to go post crowded house. He's exploring other chord progressions and um, trying to do different things musically and and uh, not you know, catering to the, like I said, the Mitchell Froome straight down the middle kind of thing, which is 
he's so brilliant at, but like he's also brilliant at so many other things. Um, and and this is definitely this is definitely one of them. So I, this is always one that I tell people to check out as well. This chorus that we're referring to here goes like this: And if you choose to take that path, I will play you like a shark, and I'll clutch at your heart. I'll come flying like a spark to inflame you. It's that it's that imagery again. It's brilliant, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's so he's so so good at that, and um, it, I, it, like I, this is actually one of the songs that I, I'm not actually sure what it's about. Um, I haven't done like a ton of kind of research into it, but uh, you know, I feel like you don't also you don't need that because it's like the the whole vibe of the song um, is kind of wrapped up in like the kind of imagery of it all, and and you sort of you sort of feel like you can understand it without like having to know exactly what he's talking about, um, and that's a great beautiful like perfectly crafted line uh that is so indicative of like neil finn as a poet and not just as like a pop songwriter chatting with sean kelly here on cover to cover with matt tarka just uh spoke quite a bit about pineapple head off of uh, crowded houses together alone record from 1993 following pineapple head had a song called locked out and then following locked out we have a track called Private Universe. Uh, Sean, what do you think about this particular song? Um, it's, you know, I think that's maybe also was, was the other one I was trying to think of before that was maybe in, like, the the, the upper echelon of songs that people, like, really hold dear, um, particularly in, like, a live setting. Yeah. Um, and, and they did a really great job with it, like, when, when, when they got back together um, in kind of capturing the vibe of it, which is always, always really hard. Uh, when you're playing a live show to like um, make a song like that, that's so like, I mean, the song is so bold in like, in its sort of darkness and, um, and the soundscapiness of it all. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also one that uh, you actually really get like a real sense of Mark Hart's contributions. Um, And, uh, and, and particularly on this song, he, he played, played lap steel and, and he's played, that's kind of was a big thing that, uh, I think he brought to the band was that instrument and how they used it. Um, and, you know, he is one of those guys, like lap steel is a really hard instrument to like, to play in the sense that it, you you want to make it sound, you not just sound like you're playing a slide guitar. You want it to be like a unique thing. And, um, and he's really like really good at that. And I, I will add that uh, I, I saw Crowded House in 2010 um, at the Tabernacle in Atlanta and, and, um, after the show, like I kind of hung out by the bus or whatever and got to to get a picture with Neil and I was like pooping my pants or whatever. And, uh, (laughs) and then, and then, and then Mark came out and, uh, we actually got to talking a little bit and, um, and we were just talking about gear and stuff. He's got a, he had a really, a really great kind of collection of guitars on stage. And, um, and so we were talking about that. And then, uh, you know, I emailed him like kind of shortly after and, um, just thanked him for like, talking to me and um and he actually remembered me because of my glasses and uh and we stayed in touch a little bit and then god it was like four or five years later um we my band was doing a record and and uh it was our first record on a a label so we had a bit of a budget and we were and they were like who do you want to play on this record and i said oh i want mark hart in particular there was a song that uh song called um susie that was like uh, I, I don't want to say it was like my Neil Finn song, but I was pretty much trying to do like a crap house thing. It, it was nice. it was a very very much a strategic thing. So I, I emailed him and asked me to play on it, 
and yeah. he said yeah and so he played organ and he also played lap steel and um i was really excited that he would play lap steel on it because it, it's such a very signature like mark hart thing and uh and particularly i thought of uh, private universe because that's like a kind of a in my mind it's like a signature lap steel song in the crowd house uh canon and um and but yeah i i love this song and and um i really like i really enjoyed it's another example of like how to be very tasteful when you're approaching a certain kind of song because it would be very easy to like to make it sound like super corny in the way that you approach like the ambience of mm-hmm. it all um but they're really like they're really good at it youth was really good at sort of like doing that thing and um maybe that was also because they were so much looser in terms of their playing and um and the kind of producer that youth is i think is a little bit more hands off in so many ways, and, and and a little bit more carefree, maybe is a good word, because, you know, I think Mitchell Firm is sort of known for being, as I said before, kind of like, um, you know, really precious about certain sounds and kind of nailing certain things, and whereas youth is a little bit more like, a little more swagger in the way that he approaches things, and that comes off in so many ways on this record, and on this song, it it's like, it's the way that they're doing the whole ambient soundscape kind of uh, eerie kind of thing which is really hard to pull off when you yeah. really want to do it because it's like I said it's really easy to like for it to sound you know corny and this is a, a really like a crash course in, in doing it right with this with the sounds on this particular song private universe I'm thinking about you know just overall when this record came out in 1993 and you know it, it seems like they're they're covering some pretty taboo subjects at the time. I mean, there's there seems to be some allusions to discussing mental health, and I'm specifically thinking about, um, you know, the line where he sings every night about six o'clock. Birds come back to the pond to talk. They talk to me. Birds talk to me if I go down on my knees, and that's kind of a pre-chorus for, um, you know, I will run for shelter, endless summer, lift the curse. It feels like nothing matters in our private universe. Uh, do you think I'm reading into these lyrics, Sean? No, 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 no. I, I, I think that uh, I, I've wondered about this song, and and you know, I kind of haven't. I don't like to research a lot of like or try to find you know interviews with him talking yeah. about you know what certain songs mean. I, I don't think he really talks about it that much anyway. But yeah. I, I, I think that like one of the things that like makes this song so appealing is that, like I said earlier, and kind of what you're talking about, like they're very interpretive, mm-hmm. and but I do think. But you're right. I, I think he's maybe talking about that a little bit. I mean, there's, it is, it feels like kind of um, a song that's kind of always on the edge of collapse um, and, a, and a little bit intense. And I think um, lyrically, I think that might have been the goal as well. And uh, and so yeah, I, I do think that there is something to that. Um, you know, he's he's such a, an interesting writer in that he can kind of like write about anything. And and Crowd House was always sort of known for their like kind of lightheartedness and especially when they're on stage they're, they don't really take themselves too seriously and you know their image early on was very like uh kind of shiny and and a little bit like a little bit odd but it was kind of like a little bit kind of a sticky thing um when they were strictly a trio um but like you know that might be kind of what they're known for but like neil is very good at like being very serious when he's when it's time to be very serious about something and these lyrics are like so striking and so like profound um, that you kind of feel like you can kind of get into the head of that character and like you're living in that private universe and you're like, you know, kind of whatever's happening in his head. Like you feel like you're, you're in it. 
Um, and it's, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about always feeling like I kind of relate to what he's talking about, even if I, I can't directly. You feel like you can kind of get into the head of that character. And this is a good example of that I don't think you're reading into it at all. I think there's a lot uh, there that kind of signals that. And, and, and you brought up the idea of like, especially at that time, it maybe was, it was a little bit taboo. It's interesting because I, I really agree with that. Um, you know, I was uh, two in 1993. Um, uh, and so, you know, obviously I didn't live through that, but I, I think a lot about that because it was such a, like a weird dark time um, for, for music. You were still in the grunge era um, mm-hmm. for, for all intents and purposes. And mm-hmm. um, people were really like uh, angry and there was a lot of darkness and uh, maybe not anger so much as like, you know, sadness and, and kind of a lot of, uh, depression and stuff. People were identifying a lot with Kurt Cobain, and um, it was it was a dark time. You know, like I, I, you know, I think about REM at that time as well, and they were kind of writing. You know, they had around the same time they had Automatic for the People, and that was a very dark record about death and about you know mental health. And Michael Stipe had kind of been dealing with the with the AIDS rumors and stuff, and 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 it was like a really dark thing. And um, it's interesting that on the other side of the world, you have a band that's sort of like talking about a lot of the same stuff and there's a similar darkness on this record um kind of a, a similar kind of uh melancholic vibe um it's, i don't know it's just, it's just interesting like and then you, you read a song like this and it it's kind of a really good um kind of a example of that like you know they're they're dealing with some like pretty dark stuff um and yeah yeah so i don't think getting into it at all i think it's kind of like it's maybe ahead of its time i think it's some it's a song that can that people could probably really really relate to now because we're sort of in an era where mental health is actually like being somewhat destigmatized and like people feel like they can talk about it more and talk about it in the context of art, music. And it's something that we all struggle with, especially artists struggle with it a lot. And so I'm sure that Neil has, and and, and in fact, I I know that he's struggled with things that I've read about him and stuff. And um, I mean, who hasn't, (laughs) but like, you know, uh, but I think this is a very, very kind of like, kind of like relatable song, even if it's, if you're not directly dealing with like having voices in your head, there's something about it that you kind of feel like you can kind of relate to on a mental health level. So thinking about this other lyric too, Sean, it's a tight squeeze, but I won't let go. Mm-hmm. Time is on the table and dinner's cold. I think of this day and age where we're living with smartphones, oftentimes by the dinner table, absorbing a 24 hour news cycle and feeling sometimes completely catatonic with so much information flying in your face all at once. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a really good point. There's it's so it's weirdly ahead of its time in that in that way because like we're yeah we're in that era right now, and and especially like you know we're in this like 24 hour news cycle world, but it's not just that. It's like on top of that we have Twitter and all this stuff and like social media. We're just like hounding us with with I don't know if I can curse, but hounding us with shit all the time. Yeah, that's and right. you, you know you know what I mean. And 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 I think a lyric like that, a song like this, is like it's really uh, kind of can hit people really hard in terms of like, you know, like, cher- like cherish time and, 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 yeah. you know, don't spend all your time, like, you know, consumed by the world around you and the darkness of the world around you and stuff. It's, it, it it's timeless. And it, um, it's, it also reminds me that like, you know, so much has not changed, you know, even though like technology is so advanced now and there's things that weren't around in 93 that are around now. And obviously, but it's like, at the end of the day, I think the world is is so in so many ways is perpetually a dark place, and you have to find a light in it. I think that's kind of the key. And uh, and he's 
kind of speak. I think he's speaking to that openly in the song. It's it's a really powerful and 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 timeless in that way. Chatting with Sean Kelly of Fragile Tomorrow here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. And uh, following Private Universe, we have a tune called Walking on the Spot. Um, another another heavy song here. Yeah. Um, this is might be another one that I, I don't really entertain a whole lot. But, I, I mean, I do love it. Yeah. And, I, and I, I love, in particular, kind of the production aspect of it. It's another one of those, like, kind of Beatles-y things, um, Mm-hmm. In 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 my view, like you know, I really love if it's a, an accordion or like a, a harmonium or something. I'm not sure what the instrument is, but like the, uh, that kind of that like main instrument happening is like really really cool. It's also kind of got like a like a pseudo jazz vibe to it. Um, you know, yeah, like a bit more in the easy listening uh, realm, mm-hmm. which people might expect from credits, but it's in a different way. Um, it's also interesting to like uh to to hear somebody like youth kind of approach a song like this because I feel like the production would have been like wholly different if it were Mitchell Broom. Um on a song like this. I think the approach would have been a little bit uh I don't know. I I don't know. I mean I can't really quantify what it would have been differently, but there's something that uh feels like it's it you know, it still makes sense coming from youth even though you would expect him to do some of the other things in this record would be a little bit more expected from him. Um, but it still works really well within like the context of this record. Um, and, and I, there's one, uh, there's one lyric in the chorus. Uh, what, what is it? Um, uh, crap. Do you have the, do you have the, the, the lyrics in front of you? For this I do. Yeah. I'm looking at some liner notes right now. Will we be in our minds when the dawn breaks? That's the first question. Yes. Asks. Then yes. he says, then he's asking the question, can we look the milkman in the eye? In the eye. Yep. That, yeah. That's such an interesting lyric. Um, that uh, like he's really good at like, um, you know, the, you, you you know, you think of a word like I mean, like literally the word milkman. Like, how the hell does that ever fit like into a song without sounding like complete horseshit? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But but it just works. Like he's so good at that. And there's been other examples of that in his songwriting over the years, where there's like certain words or or people or characters that you kind of go like, how do like how do you fit? Milkman in a song, without mm-hmm. it just being like just completely destroying the whole thing, but yeah. like it, it's it's in the context of the larger questions that he's asking that you go, wow, he's literally talking about like he's he's taking this person and using them as an example. You could have used any amount of people to say like, can you look this person in the eye? But he, yeah. but it's like on a very base level, can you look the milkman in the eye? It's so it's so like weird and 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 just a, a great example of like his kind of. I don't know what the word would be like. It's very um, kind of like imaginative, I guess, to to use that character in that context. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, just as not just not not as a central figure, but just as a as a passing um, yeah. uh, way of sort of furthering the, the the narrative. I guess it's it's really interesting. It is interesting. I was thinking just too in the context of uh, either job creation or you know, sadly, certain redundancies that, that happen in industries. I mean, you don't hear very often about, a you know, a milkman delivery service anymore, whether you're right. in Australia or New Zealand or if you're in the continental U.S. It's just, it's it, it's a it's a job that sadly went away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, my um, my wife's dad was a, technically a milkman. Um, well, they, they, you know, really? they like to like, yeah, he, he he's a truck driver, so he, uh, 
he worked for a company at one point that uh, he was actually literally delivering milk. Um, yeah. But I, we, I, we always like to like say that he's like a milkman driving the truck with a white hat and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as, a, as like on on that way, it is like a it's it's like a a job that doesn't really exist anymore. It's interesting. Yeah. It's very like 1950s, and that kind of um, much so. Yeah. It very it's like very indicative of like what the song feels like as a whole, actually. And I don't know if it's maybe supposed to take place in that time period or something. But you, you sort of get the sense when you listen to that song that it's like kind of exists in like a in a, in a previous time or in another world like that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you got that feeling as well, but that was I did. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. After walking on the spot, we have a song called "Distant Sun." I know you mentioned this is one of your top favorites. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's gosh, it's like the perfect crowded house song for me because. <laughs> It's just got everything. Like it's, it's exactly what you want out of a crowded house song. It's it's the chorus. It's the that I mean that that the whole that the whole bridge um, is so like left field, um, like and 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 just the like the whole like the lyricism of it is so like drastically different from anything that had kind of come before. It's a lot more like intense and maybe a little bit more of a negative thing, whereas like the rest of it is so like. It's a gorgeous pop song. You know, it's another example of the 12 string thing that's just kind of works so perfectly for them. It's, I don't know, I kind of like, I've always grouped this song in with like Fall at Your Feet. Um, just mm-hmm. I, I, when I think of Fall at Your Feet, I think of this song as well. And I don't know why that is, but they feel like very similar, like they're kind of like sister songs in a way. Um, yeah. There's something about this song that's sort of like, you know, and also um, probably Better Be Home Soon is another one that's an earlier song that's kind of like, has a similar vibe to me. Um, they're they're just like it's a, this beautiful like very upbeat but sort of very kind of melancholy thing that that Neil's really good at, especially in um, under the context of crowded house. Um, and I think that like it's also uh, you, know, you know this could have very easily been a song that like that like Mitchell could have done on I don't know maybe not Woodface but maybe like one of the previous records you know but like the idea of youth. And this being like a bit of a looser, um, you know, even though they didn't actually track the record live, I think they attempted to and it wasn't really working. Um, it sort of sounds like they did. And I think that has a lot to do with youth kind of being like, go for it and and don't be afraid of, you know, fucking up. And like, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, let's get something cool. Like, and not worrying about getting everything perfect. Um, and and the, the sonicness of it being a little bit more like live sounding. And um, I think that's where it kind of feels like a live record. But with this song, it had been very easy to like play it very straight and narrow, but there's something like really loose. Um, you know, I don't know if they like, you know, kind of recorded the metronomes or whatever with this record. I'm not sure how they would have done it. Mm-hmm. I would assume because they were tracking separately that they would have been, um, you know, some element of a click track or metronome happening, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like a, like a band playing together. And uh, I think that is what makes this, although it fits in with other songs in the crowded house catalog, I think it's what makes it like so different. And, but I mean, like the chorus is like, it's, it's, it's another one that feels very spiritual, but I don't actually know that it is. I don't know how much of a spiritual guy Neil actually is, but there's something about his approach to lyricism that sometimes you get these choruses that feel like they're, you know, sort of like holy and not, and not in like a, in a, in a religious sense, but they feel so like cathartic that they feel spiritual and and I guess the thing that's so cool 
is like there's two other elements of it. It's like the, uh, you know I talked about the bridge before. I think that's a really like important part of the song because it's like it's actually really simple. It's just like a you know A minor G F kind of chord progression, mm-hmm. but like the idea of like like I'm lying on the table washed up in the flood like a Christian fearing vengeance from above. Yeah. I, it, it, what a crazy like beautiful like odd thing to say in this song, especially in the context of that kind of heavier bridge. It's it's really really interesting um, his approach to songwriting and like I I, I think it's also very uh, I, from from everything I've sort of learned about him it's it's very um, it's not it doesn't all happen at, at once it's very much like a you know fragmented approach to, to writing like he'll do one part of something and then put it away or he'll find lots of different ideas and try to merge them which is something that I do as well it's something that I learned a lot from from Neil um, and I I don't know if that that's this is how that song came to be, but it feels like it. It feels like that bridge might have happened as another idea entirely, and he turned it into a bridge, which is, like, so brilliant how he can sort of, like, how you can work your way from something so, like, pulsating and yeah. and kind of energetic and then open it up into that solo, which is over the chorus progression. And, like, and then the outro is, is, is really interesting because then it takes this other turn to where you're getting that, like, C to E major to F thing. And there's this entirely new melody. It's it's really really unique song in that way, and it's a very much like a Neil Finn thing, um, to sort of like you know have all these sections be like their own. He's also really good at like everything being a hook. There's not just like a, a memorable chorus. Like you, you you could take any part of this song and like splice it up, yeah. and it would you would you would remember every part of it. You know, there's not just like one hook. Like the verse is kind of its own hook, the chorus is its own hook, the outro is—it's like it's—it's it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I—I I feel like I'm just like, like perpetually praising this man, but it's because I just can't help it. Like I—I I just think that like he's just so goddamn good, and this is a really good example of how good he is. <laughs> he is after uh, Distant Sun. Uh, we spoke very briefly about Catherine Wheels, and after Catherine Wheels, we have a tune called Skin Feeling. Yeah, this is uh this is a Paul Hester song actually. Is um it? yeah, so Paul sings it and he wrote it as well. Um and I don't think he did that very much. I think like um Italian Plastic was one that he wrote. I don't did he sing it? I don't remember. I'd have to go back and check. I'm pretty sure he sang it. I just can't picture it in my head. But um but he sang and wrote this one. And what's really interesting from what I understand about Proud House is that Neil, you know, was obviously the he was the central figure, but like, or is, but I do think he like has had encouraged his bandmates over the course of their career to like, um, to actually contribute songs. And I don't know that anybody really did until he was co-writing with, with Tim. And then, uh, when Paul would kind of contribute here and there, um, it's something that I actually really kind of like really love about Neil. And I can really kind of relate to is the fact that he, although he's kind of, the central guy, and he's, like, for all intents and purposes, the Crowded House sound, he, like, really loves to co-write and have other people bring ideas in because, it, one, it takes a lot of pressure off of him, I'm sure, and also it creates, like, this um, kind of kind of like a diversity within the the realm of the band and, and, and what's being kind of added and contributed. And I've been doing that more so in my band over the last couple of years, particularly with my brother Brendan, like, we're writing a lot more together. He's bringing ideas in and I'm writing on top of it and stuff. And I really like that. And I think this is, um, this song is an example of like how that can really work for a, for a band. Like 
and there's always these jokes about drummers contributing songs. And yeah. and I think in some ways, like I think Ringo is kind of given that a bad rap because like I'm not knocking Ringo, but like you know, let's be real about like you know Yellow Submarine. It's it's not exactly like like the benchmark of the Beatles catalog. And and you know, I I think you wrote that one. I might be wrong. And if I'm if I'm attacking George Harrison or something, then I apologize. He's like my favorite songwriter in the band. But like. No, I think Gringo has credit for Yellow Submarine. For writing Yellow Submarine, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. cool, good. Uh, it, you know, it's it's that's the kind of I think that's maybe the standard for drummers contributing songs, and from a jokey standpoint, you know, unless you're Andy Sturmer and Jellyfish, who's like the drummer, but he's also the guy. Um, I think that's kind of the the, the but like Skin Feeling is like a really cool song, um, and I think it's like a really good example of like what Paul could do as a songwriter, which he could do a lot, and and he. Um, you know, sadly, like I think he was working on a on a solo record when when he uh, passed away, and it, I think there might have been a couple of songs that were ultimately released from it that are really cool, and they're kind of this like uh, kind of quasi bluesy thing, as like, kind of a little more lo-fi sounding. And this is actually a really good example of probably what he was trying to go for later on, um, and it, it's really cool. And I think Neil plays the harmonica part on this song. It's very different. It's it's a it's very it's like kind of pounding and um it's it's a cool song. It's a nice like I don't see it at all as like any less important than anything any other like album track in the Crowded House catalog. I, I'd even put it. I mean, I'd argue that you know there's not many throwaway Crowded House songs for for me or songs that I don't like. Um, you know, but I, like there are some on the earlier records that sound a little bit dated to me. Um, and I would definitely like, and they're new songs, but I would put them kind of above this song in uh, any day. And um, I think we'll probably overlook. I would hope that they don't, but I think maybe the the, the average fan might overlook this song a little bit because it's not a Neil Finn song. But I think it's totally worth like you know getting into because it's a really unique kind of special cool song. So. We are chatting with Sean Kelly here on Cover to Cover. Sean is of the band A Fragile Tomorrow. Uh, after, um, excuse me, after Skin Feeling, we have the title track, Together Alone, and this is Crowded House dabbling a little bit into some world music vibes. Um, and there's also a Maori chant, I believe, that's uh, yeah. very ubiquitous throughout this song. And, you know, just a really, really cool, here we are together in a very close embrace, being together. I'm translating the Maori chant here. Uh, just us alone uh, rangy, the sky father is above, the earth mother is below, our love for one another is everlasting. What a powerful message to close the record. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's like, uh, the, the, this is a this is one of the songs that, that is kind of like, this is like, clearly they were trying to do something very, very different and mm-hmm. uh, very kind of experimental. And it's also a really good, like, kind of example of how your environment can totally shape the, like the music that you're trying to make because, you know, them kind of going to Cary Cary Beach and getting away from the, you know, kind of Melbourne and Los Angeles uh, cycle that they were in with making records, I think like wholly informed so much of this record. But on this song, it's like so evident that they were just trying to do something that like really excited them and really like paid tribute to, you know, this other world of music that I'm sure they were all, like heavily kind of engrossed in, particularly Neil. Um, and it's so so beautiful and like striking and that sort of that like that chant that happens midway through that like that kind of um, little bit of a hold and then it kind of goes, it's like sort of like a yell that happens and it's so like powerful. 
I don't know. It's really it's really amazing. And and if you watch like kind of the making of, you you see like, I mean, I, I think Nick was talking about how like, either Nick or Paul were talking about how like, like the the choir and the brass band and all, all these people like, kind of showed up to to do their stuff at this house that that, that they were working at, and each of the band members and youth took a different segment of the people that were taking part in this into a different area of the house and like work with them independently. And, and then they kind of came together and did everything together. And, and, and then they kind of all had this like barbecue and it was like hundreds of people on this property having this like very celebratory, like barbecue. And and I think whoever it was, Paul or Nick was like, it was really like emotional. And, and you, you don't know, you hear this song and you think like, you just get that sense that there was like so much emotion in this very special, powerful moment in the recording process. It's kind of almost like they really wanted to like remember it, you know, so often like you make records and it just feels like, you know, you're making a record and it's great. And there's always going to be moments that you'll, that you won't kind of forget of making a record, but it's so rare to actually have like a real powerful, maybe somewhat spiritual, like sometimes out of body, memorable experience making a record and and when you're a crowded house x number of years in your career and you can afford to like touch the budget and you're kind of like you have this kind of position of power and authority as a band where you can kind of do whatever you want it's it makes a lot of sense that they would pull in somebody like you to like shake things up and then do this like sprawling expansive um dramatic powerful song to close this record out um, it's also another example of how bands would do that sometimes. It doesn't always land, and it kind of seems like, you know, oh, it's really not, like, you know, it, it seems a little disingenuous at times to, like, end the record with, like, a like a like like an off-kilter statement piece that's, like, almost seems kind of cinematic. But, like, they do it really well, and I don't feel at all with this song that it, it, it it's, like, in any way disingenuous. It just sounds like a beautiful document of like a moment and and I, I i just love that they like really went for it and um it's 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 another marker of like what was to come i think for them and for neil in particular and and i just think it was the great uh, the greatest way to end this record i couldn't imagine like hearing anything else in this album sean i'd like to ask you a question about the cover art for together alone um what kinds of imagery is conjured up in your minds when you when you take a look at this piece, do you think it's a really just, you know, reflective representation of the entire full-length record that you're about to experience? I think so. Um, you know, I, I I believe that was Nick who who, who did that artwork. I, I think he does all the art um, and their logos and stuff. And uh, I I do think it's it's like a really perfect kind of a, kind of encapsulation of what you're about to hear. Um, yeah. There's that, there's that, you know, the red car that kind of actually comes back into play later, I believe, on the Time on Earth artwork and maybe in the Don't Stop Now video as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I I don't know the significance of that and and or you know what all how all that plays all of this plays into the context of the band and what they were kind of trying to like maybe go for or like elicit with this artwork, but like it, it does feel very striking. I think the other thing about their artwork is it's always been like very unique. Um, you know, you know, if you go back and like look at the first two albums, they're like they're on the cover, um, but they're it's very like cartoonish in its own way. Yeah. Um, and and probably pretty like pretty indicative of the the image that they were going for. And and Woodface they they kind of abandoned that image, and then sonically they started going in this less '80s direction, more like kind of drier, closer sounding thing. And and um, 
and this record is a little bit more it's still got that vibe and it's it, it doesn't sound dated at all but it's like a little bit more airy and reverby and stuff like that and 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 edgy and um a, a little dirtier at times and i think when you look at the artwork it's still that kind of um kind of illustrated thing that i think they had been having up until that point um and actually i've always had it actually i think all their art is pretty like pretty illustrated um mm-hmm. but i think it does its job. And I think that's the really tricky thing with album art a lot of the time is you have to do a certain job. It's not just like, you know, I, the thing that I don't, that I, I really don't like about like certain um, facets of music, particularly with like modern country music, is that like the album art is like a photo of, of the artist and then like, you know, just their name. And and they're just sitting in front of a black backdrop and it doesn't really elicit anything. Um, yeah. Or it doesn't really make any kind of a statement, and I mean it's not always the, the the goal. So I'm generalizing, and I totally understand that that's not always everyone's goal. But like with a band like Crowded House, when you're making records, it's not just like a, a collection of songs. It's it's a it's a very like strategic album. Um, it's not a compilation. It's like a, it's an album. If there's a there's a an idea, there's a concept, there's a theme. Um, even if the theme is just to make a really, really good record, I think it's like. They're, they're always, I think, intrinsically linked. And their artwork, like, it always has to elevate what you're being sold and what you're listening to. Um, that's the thing I love about uh, about bands like them and bands like R.E.M. or, like, there's so many, I mean, there's just so many examples. Like, I'm, one of my favorite albums is uh, Primal Scream, Scream and Delica. And, uh, um, and that artwork is, like, literally like a painting of, it's like a sun, I think. It's like a, like a drawing of, like, a sun with a face. And it's, and it's, yeah. But it's so, like, so crazily powerful um, that you can't, like, you don't, like, you look at that record, you know exactly what it is from the second that, that, that you see it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what Crowd House has always tried to do as well, is, you know, you're getting, like, something that, like, really appeals to the eye, but you kind of, when you look at it, you sort of know what the vibe's going to be. Um, there's an element of, uh, you know, I, I think there's kind of an element of, like, synesthesia to what they do as well, like where you like the albums kind of sort of elicit colors as well. And I think this is a really good example of that too, where you, you definitely go into it thinking like, you know, I'm getting something kind of different and, and special and, 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 uh, you know, creative on, on another level. Sean Kelly, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today about crowded houses together alone record. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on the program and, Share how much this music continues to impact you and your own creativity. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, like I could, I could talk about this kind of stuff all day, and and I just have to say, like, I love what you're doing, and I think it's it's such a such a great um, thing for artists to be a part of because we're not often given the chance to like talk about the the albums that really mean mean a lot to us, and um, so I thank you for doing this and, and thank you for having me because it's, 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 it's such a, like an incredibly overwhelmingly amazing nerdy thing to get to do is talk about my favorite album or one of my favorite albums. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's like been such a blast. All right. Thanks so much to Sean Kelly of a fragile tomorrow for being on the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you so very much, and please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcasts, whether it's Google Play, Apple, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Take a moment to tell your friends and family about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. It'll certainly help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. 
Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. And we hope you discovered some new music. Perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.